Hey America, you know of all the things we've been freaking out about lately, we haven't really talked about test kits in the last, I don't know, few weeks. It seems that we've settled in and kind of accepted the coronavirus testing situation with contact tracing and law enforcement and government mandates and all that. Can we re-examine this for a second? Because I did that recently, and I discovered that basically the entire testing situation around coronavirus in the United States right now is a hoax. Let me explain. I know that's a bold statement, right? You know, we talk about the coronavirus hoax. Well, the virus itself is not a hoax. But when you take what is a, at worst, funky off-season flu with a lower mortality rate than trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis or testifying against Hillary Clinton, which reminds me, I have to, sorry, I triggered my legal notice here. I must say now, anytime I mention the Clinton name, I am not now, nor have I ever been suicidal. Now, looking at taking that and saying this is a public health emergency that requires declaring a state of emergency, this is a special threat that justifies government spending trillions of dollars or printing money out of thin air or creating it digitally if you want to be technical about it and violating your rights repeatedly. That's a hoax. And specifically right now, we are still experiencing the consequences of the test kit hoax. The basic premise of this is that the government even struggling to get test kits out there is part of the bigger hoax. The way that we are doing tests in America today, right now, completely unnecessary. Bear with me. We're going to prove this point. First, we go to the Hill.com. Testing delays once again hamper COVID-19 response. We can't respond if we don't. We can't respond if we don't have tests. Like, it's tough for me to cover the news these days and actually get through the news without stopping and deconstructing every lie that we're seeing from the mainstream media because they're baked into the headlines. Surging COVID-19 outbreaks in several states are straining testing capacity across the country as people wait several days or even weeks to get their results back, causing another setback to the U.S. response to the months-long pandemic. Now, the response might be, hey, if you're sick, we're going to quarantine you. Like, what would be a, what would be a reasonable response? You don't, you don't quarantine healthy people. That's <laughs> part of the bigger hoax here, right? Just this, this disgusting distortion of science where, where they're taking, you know, correlation studies and, and presenting them as if they're causation proving studies where they're taking anybody who tested positive for COVID-19 and saying that, that they have, that they, if they die, they must have died from it as opposed to just with it as a, you know, minor contributing factor. 
lengthy turnaround times are undermining the fight against the coronavirus, experts say, making efforts to trace contact of confirmed cases almost pointless. That, in turn, potentially leads to more infections that threaten to strain testing. Now, part of this is like, oh, we don't have the excuse to lock these particular people up or to, you know, force them to stay in house arrest. So let's let's just put everybody under house arrest. Oh, that's not working. Well, let's tell them we need we need more excuses. To, we need more. We need to generate more excuses to implement these draconian policies that are totally unfounded in science. That are really just based on the government taking on more power. So what what's the uh, what what's the end game? Of course, we're going to get to that when we talk about the economics of things later on the show today. You got to keep in mind, why is this happening? Money and power. Is there a singular big conspiracy behind it? Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. We know that government out in the open. We don't need a theory to see that government is the biggest conspiracy to take advantage of the rest of us and rip us off. So back to the story from the Hill complaining about these, these test problems. While public health officials say, People should be self-isolating while they wait for their test results. There's little data to indicate how often that's happening. Longer turnaround turnaround times run the risk of making it less likely someone will self-isolate, especially if they're not experiencing any symptoms. It really undermines our infection control, Fleshy said. Someone who has COVID but has less typical symptoms or doesn't feel that bad, they may feel like it's probably not COVID and they'll be going out in public. And if it turns out they really do have COVID, they could have infected significant numbers of people. Now, it just it really undermines our control. Yes, our infection. Well, we're try- we're not trying to control people. We're just trying to control the infection. So, what are the excuses? Large outbreaks in Florida, Texas, California, Arizona, and Georgia have overwhelmed private labs like Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp, leading to slow turnaround times. Some states with smaller case number numbers are even seeing delays. Now. <laughs> This next sentence is, is like, it, it, it's just really disturbing. And if, if you can just, if, you, if you're really paying attention, I mean, you really have to, like, ugh, you really have to read between the lines to know what a bad, it, it's not, it's not in and itself, in itself a lie, right? But there's so many lies behind this, so much fraud. While commercial labs have significantly increased the capacity for testing since the early days of the pandemic, there is still not enough to handle the increased demand. Why? 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 There's not still not Because the FDA is actively denying businesses the appropriate government permissions to get their test kits out there. Why are we even doing it this way? Like, you have to ask, like, when, why, why are we going and having people wait in line in their cars, get a, an uncomfortable nasal swab? I mean, they say, like, it felt like it was wiping my brain. Like, we've heard these, like, you know, they stick a swab, like, as far back up your nose. Like, I don't know exactly what directions they're giving the people, the nurses administering these tests. But apparently it's not pleasant. But then it's, now you have to wait a week, and sometimes two weeks. Like, what's the point? There's, there's literally no, we might as well just quarantine. And they're telling you you have to quarantine while you're waiting for your test results. 
But here's the thing. Most people don't know there is a more reliable alternative to this entire test concept. CJ, if you would, please, get the video footage of me taking a coronaphobia test. Excuse me, not a coronaphobia test, a coronavirus and antibody test. This was my Facebook Live, and it's by a little blood prick test. You know when you go and, and you donate blood, they give you a little prick test to make sure you have enough iron in your blood. When you, uh, you know, do, do other, you know, for, for testing blood sugar the way you used to have to do it with a blood prick test. It's very simple. You see, like, I've got, I got this stuff right, they, they, I got it in the mail. This was a test kit that was illegally imported into the United States. They don't want you to have this. They are literally making it harder for people to get tested because the regulations are saying that this test kit is not FDA approved. We were very excited, actually, a few months ago when we got this going, hey, look how easy it is to get tested. They mail you a little kit. You know, you, what do you have to do? You have to, you have to get um, a, a solution like uh, we, sterile saline. So you get it Walgreens. And you go, you prick your finger, and you put your little drop of blood on this little test strip, and you put your your testing agent that, that pushes it, you know, across the strip into these actual chemical reaction points where one line will tell you if you're testing positive for the antibodies or if you're testing positive for the virus or both. And this, just that this is not available. Why? 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 Because they want it to be this way. Now, why why would they take away your ability to test yourself? Now, this is, now let's go, let's go to the paranoid people at Infowars.com. We've got the documents. But no, this is, this is a really important story. This is from Drudge Report, Infowars.com. People who never took the test told they're COVID positive. Now, they've got sources cited here. A report out of Florida shows many people who have never been tested for COVID-19 are receiving phone calls claiming they've tested positive. Yeah. ABC7 Sarasota talked with a woman called Mindy Clark, who was in line to be tested for the virus when she noticed signs saying only those with symptoms should be tested. Despite leaving immediately after seeing the signs and never taking, never receiving a test, Clark was contacted by someone telling her she tested positive. When Minnie answered a phone call telling her she tested positive, she asked, positive for what? <laughs> positive for COVID, the person responded. Clark explained that was impossible because she never took the test and asked for a record to be cleared of the alleged positive result. The individual on the phone told Clark it was up to her to prove she's negative for COVID, which he did two days later. Now, this is a kind of guilty until proven innocent situation where you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to assume you're positive unless you prove you're negative. Now, it's not necessarily you're guilty, right? We're not saying that you committed a crime because you have COVID. But we're going to treat you like a criminal anyway. Now, do you think I'm exaggerating? Hold on, we'll get to that, that part. What happens if you're, if you're on the list 
for a positive COVID-19 test result, what could happen to you? Now, back to the info war story, though. First, let me substantiate this because it's not just one random person saying, hey, I got a phone call. They put me on the wrong list. Like, it, it would be it would be understandable, right? Hey, of course, there's going to be mistakes. No. This isn't the only example of someone who never got tested receiving a positive result as citizens across the country have made similar complaints. Comments, comments on an ABC7 Sarasota Facebook post on the story show how many users show many users claiming to have experienced the same issue. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis addressed concerns about the potential testing errors on Monday, calling the rumors problematic. Yeah, if they don't play to the government narrative, they're rumors. If they play to the government narrative, they're reports. Just, just to be clear, right? Uh, as he said, quote, for that to come back positive when there was no specimen submitted is problematic, so I've heard it enough to be concerned about it. If you're somebody that this has happened to, uh, you're going to come forward and give us the details because I think that needs to be corrected. No, 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 no. We care about correcting you, government, not correcting, not, you know, not having you correct yourselves. It's like the police. You know, something bad happens. Well, we investigated ourselves, and we cleared ourselves of all wrongdoing and, and the shooting of that innocent child. Yes, of course. Now, let's go back to cron.com, because we covered this story. I told you we were going to substantiate this, too. Like, what are the cons? Like, we're going to treat you like a, a criminal anyway. Texas County warns COVID-19 positive residents must stay home or face prosecution. Now, it's not enough that they've claimed the ability to give you a false positive on procedural grounds and that, and that, that you would have to prove that you didn't, not they have to prove that you had that you actually went and got the test and tested positive. So COVID-19 surge in rural Texas has escalated into a deepening public health crisis for Hidalgo County where officials issued an order Sunday requiring those who test positive for the virus to not leave home for 14 days under threat of criminal prosecution. So this is it, yeah, at Hidalgo County on Twitter, health authority order of you or someone in your house have tested positive. Now, by the way, they're going they're going like a step further in this. And this is this is what makes us scary as like we are in martial law in the United States right now. I think it's fair by any definition of that word to say that we live not just in a, a police state. But we have a situation where the police are able to exercise this authority completely arbitrarily based on their own judgments, their own assessment. Whether they're wearing masks or not, they can arrest you for not wearing a mask. They can arrest you for not wearing a mask properly. They can say you're on our list of COVID-19 positive testers and therefore you're subject to this. And it's not, not just you. This, or, this is an order from the county. From the county with criminal consequences for not following. I mean, it's right here in black and white. Failure to comply may result in criminal prosecution. But it's not just you. It's you or someone in your house. This is getting scary. This is this is where we are with the police state. They can impose these orders pretty much on anyone now. What are they asking you now? It's not, oh, yeah, please stay at home except for emergencies. In some cases, like, let's let, just referring back to the, the story 
from BJR.com that we brought you a Kentucky couple is wearing ankle bracelets right now for not signing the quarantine order. Remember, we brought you the story, and it was like, well, if they're just saying it's a suggestion, you know, if they're putting out advice and they're just kind of scaring people into compliance, okay, but that's that's not the case. They're actually going to people's homes now. That's what happened in this case. They are on house arrest, not because they didn't want to sell quarantine, because they objected to the language in the document that they were being asked to sign that said that they needed state de- health department officials' permission to leave their home, even in an emergency. Like, hey, you just, I don't, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something not so gory as like, ah, oh, you just got your foot cut off in a, in a, I don't know, in a lawnmower accident, right? You need to go, uh, you need to go to the emergency room. Here's, hi, uh, Kentucky Health Department, I'm bleeding to death right now out of my ankle where my foot has been severed. I just want to call and make sure that I got permission from you to go to the emergency room so that I don't die now because we want to make sure that it's okay and we're not killing grandmas as we come in with our COVID-positive test results. Like, we're, Okay, so back to this, this Hidalgo County thing. What are they? It, it's not just please remain at home or else. It's no visitors allowed. How are you supposed to get, supposed to like get, how are you supposed to get groceries? No visitors allowed. Monitor yourself for symptoms. If requested, make yourself available. Guess what? Because we said you have a positive test result, your privacy no longer applies here. Make a list of anyone that you may have come in contact with. How long is this going to last? This order will remain in effect until the incubation period is passed and you are no longer suspected of having the above stated communicable disease or you are otherwise notified by the state health services. Holy crap. Now, there's another reason they're sticking with this current testing paradigm. And it's not just because their friends are profiting from this, right? I mean, we know there's if you're working with the CDC or working with the FDA right now, you're one of the companies that's been approved. You already have a point of contact there. You already have a lobbyist in place who got you this approval in the first place. You're going to say, hey, you know what? We, why don't you tell the people that we have the only safe and reliable test that, you know, we can't, we can't let people prick their fingers at home, especially when we can't have regular access to hospitals because, you know, they might bleed to death from the prick test. And, you know, it's not, you know, we, we, we need to make sure that having people you know, poke themselves at home, that's, that's just crazy talk. Oh, no. Let's make sure that, well, obviously there's, there are people who are getting rich off of the quasi-monopoly that they have on testing right now. So there's that for one reason, but there's another reason. CJ, if you would, please, our next headline here from globalnews.ca. Yes, let's go to our friends in Kanukistan, our, our, our polite northerly neighbors. Main coronavirus test produces false negatives at least 20% of the time, study showed. And then you go, oh, oh, that's why they want it. Oh, unless you're going, Adam, but why would they want test kits that get false positives? Do, do I really have to spoon feed you this one? <laughs> like, well, see, false positives means there's more tests, that there's more, there's more cases that they can cite as their excuse 
to take more power, to profit off of this system. But it's not, it, but it's not just that. There's a lot of false negatives, too. And so there's a lot of confusion around this. Let's get into this first one from globalnews.ca. Main coronavirus test versus false negatives. At least 20% of the time, study says healthcare workers doing testing at a drive. And this is, yes, what, which test is this? The main one, the drive-through COVID-19 assessment center at uh, Eto Bicol General Hospital in Toronto. Uh, the primary type of testing for the novel coronavirus around the world, including Canada, produces false negative results at least 20% of the time. Uh, now, that's the false negatives. We're going to get to the false positives. According to a study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine in May, the false negative rate of RT-PCR testing used to detect the novel coronavirus changes depending on where a person is in the timeline of the infection cycle. On day one of an infection, the test is completely ineffective at detecting the virus, while on day eight of infection, the test produces false negatives of 20% of the time. The rate of false negatives then increases every day afterward. Now, you might think, all right, Adam, you know, false, false negatives, right? Well, then it's worse than it ever than they're saying, oh, my God, because they're missing one in five of people who are testing positive. We have to get more tests, get them tested three or four times. Oh, my God, we got, we really have to, these corporations that are making millions off of this scam, we have to give them more business. They're <laughs> like, no, 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 there's a whole other side of the story that they're hiding from you. And, well, Business Wire's got it. Let's go to Yahoo.com Finance. Finance, that's where they're hiding, the story.yahoo.com. From Business Wire, the headline is, CDC coronavirus test kits generate 30% false positive and 20% false negative results. Connecticut pathologists, new published findings confirmed. Now, we brought you this story first. <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> Doing that Karen voice really killed me here. Legalinsurrection.com. And you look at this, you go, oh, we got we to gotta check this news story, maybe. Because now they put in the false positive. Connecticut pathologist study shows CDC coronavirus test kits generate 30% false positive results. And you go, oh, well, they're doing the false positive. You don't know is that. That sounds biased, and you know, maybe it is because they're trying to say, hey, they're blowing this whole thing, whole thing up. And it's important to note when they're trying to make things look worse versus when they're just trying to keep people confused. So back to the uh, Business Wire story, the current CDC nucleic acid test kits for SARS-CoV-2 generate a 30% false positive and 20% false negative results in the best state public health laboratory. Dr. Sin Hang Lee reported in a peer-reviewed article published in the International Journal of Geriatrics and Rehabilitation, an online journal based in Japan on July 17, 2020. Now, if you've been paying attention to Adam, if you've been getting your news from us here at Adam vs. the Man, you already knew all this. You know, why, why are we covering this story now? Like, it's now that now it's irrefutable. Now it's it's just out there in the open that the, the, the test kits 
that they are forcing people. To, and, and again, why why not in a, in, a, in a public health crisis? Just let everybody get test kits out there, and so you know, even if they're less reliable, you know, we're we're going to uh, we're going to let the market decide. We're going to let people figure out, you know, what's reliable, what's easy, what's not. And like, and I I got a little criticism actually of this test, and it, it's really you know operator error. I screwed up. You can see right there in that video, I'm I'm fumbling with the little prick thing because it's supposed to be spring loaded, and it neatly just you know, pops your finger. And as I was opening, I, I screwed up and, and I broke the little spring mechanism. And, uh, you know, so I had to, I had to open it up and, and just take the needle out and then, and prick myself without the aid of the spring. And, and you know, there's, there way, like if we had the market, you know, would, would you, do you, do you want to test it? Like if you could, if you could get one in the mail tomorrow and that we're capable of this, you know, we have we have overnight delivery. We have priority mail, two days. If you could get a test kit in tomorrow, two days, you really wanted to know, how much would you pay for that? What, what does this thing actually cost? You see me fumbling with this right here, doing the doing the actual you know finger prick. You know what 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 does this thing actually cost to make? It's a few dollars. They're get they're getting this out already all over the world. This is what other countries are using. You go oh. Oh, this is it. Why, why is it that we can't have nice things in America? Because government. Because we, because we have allowed, like, mm, oh, so many, I told you so. And this is like the big one from libertarians, like, hey, I told you not to trust the government with this stuff. Now, this is what you get. So just know that on top of everything else, all of the lies about the numbers, you know, all of the, well, he died in a car accident, but we, you know, we tested him for COVID and it came out positive. So we listed it as a COVID death. It's like, how, how many layers of bullshit do we have to deconstruct to get to the truth about what is happening with Corona right now? And that is messed up. That is so, this is so messed up. This is so sad. Why? Why? Because we trusted government. Because we went into this pandemic. And yeah, I, I'm starting to think more and more that there is some kind of, there could be some kind of singular global or a main conspiracy behind this, you know, uh, as, a, as opposed to a bunch of just loosely affiliated conspiracies. That there could have been 20 dudes sitting in a room smoking cigars, the, you know, banker class going, hey, you know, next time, next time we see a funky off-season flu that people uh, start to get excited about, let's blow it out of proportion, and we're going to do all these things to take advantage of the American people. We're going to shut down the economy. We're going to reboot it with more power in the hands of the few. The rich are going to get a lot richer, and the poor are going to get a lot poorer. And that's why it's important to expose these hoaxes, even this sub-hoax. This is the testing hoax. And, and I hope even just this, even if you just go, oh, hey, if you just look, look, at the, look at the current crisis through the lens of what's going on with test kits. That should be enough to lead you to the conclusion that you are being lied to so that people can take advantage of you and make you want to do something about it. And today is July 22nd, 2020. We are doing something about it on Adam versus the man. 
bringing you the truth behind the headlines every day, translating from statism into a language that you can understand. Very excited about today's show. We've got another great guest coming on, Rick Stralo, and uh, his, his legal story. Very excited to get into that in just about 30 minutes here. We've got Roger Stone coming on the show tomorrow. I posted a little ad for that on social media yesterday. Thank you to everybody who responded with questions. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, like I've, I've covered the Roger Stone story. I've hung out with him in person. I consider him a friend, even though he's, I mean, he's made his living as a political dirty trickster, as a liar. You know, would he, has he ever lied? So, so like, I, I want, I don't, I want to like put this in appropriate. I'm, I'm figuring it out for myself right now, talking through like, how am I going to approach this interview, right? Because he has faced serious threats of jail time. He just had a sentence commuted by the president. He was sentenced to 40 months in prison. Now a free man, and not having a sentence pardoned. A pardon is something else. Pardon me. It's not on your record. It's just, you know, as if, if, if you didn't do it. You are. Uh, officially excused by the highest legal authority in the land, our, our commander-in-chief. But um, who are his victims, right? You know, is it, are the American, can, can you really, like, if there's a power struggle, and I'm not trying to excuse the, the I mean, the core thing that he did that's evil, I'm not going to excuse, which is that he helped get Donald Trump away. Now he and there there are reasonable people who are libertarians like my friend Walter Block who would say well he's a hero for doing that and Walter Block is is you know, unquestionable in you know or undoubtable in his personal beliefs in terms of being as as hardcore libertarian as it gets and yet he came to the conclusion like getting Trump elected over Clinton was was so important that you should vote for Trump if you're in a swing state if you're not vote for Gary Johnson get the libertarian numbers up. If you're in California, you know, if your vote doesn't matter, then yes, cast a vote symbolically in protest to support the Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party. But what he did, right, is the, the dirty tricks. And Roger Stone is a liar. He's a professional liar. He's a very good and effective political liar. So when I, now, now in order for me to analyze, like, you know, when I say, well, punching someone in the face is unethical, if I interview a boxer, I'm not going to go, well, you know, he's a good, he's a, he's really good at violently assaulting people. Like, you know, obviously, this is sort of in the context of boxing. So, and similarly with Roger Stone, you know, just, just to be clear, it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle to punch someone in the face in a boxing match, right? Like, there's consent, there's, there's all this, like, agreement, like, this is, this is what we're doing. This is an athletic contest. You know, you, we're, we're accepting this is something that could happen. Now, I'm not saying that that's what politics is. I'm not saying, hey, we are in politics, so it's okay to lie to you. No, 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 no. I'm not making that case. But in the, I am making the case that, you know, in the realm where government lies, murders, cheats, steals, you know, all of these much greater evils than, you know, political lying, you know, is it okay to lie to manipulate the system if you think it's going to result in a better system? Yeah. Yeah. If you can lie to President Bush and say, no, man, it was, it was the Amish who were behind 9-11, not the, not the, not the Muzis. And he goes, all right, well, we're going to bomb the, we're going to, we're going to bomb the Amish. And only, you know, uh, this is a really bad comparison now. Only a hundred people die. How many Amish are there? And I'm like, shit. 
I'm going to get all sorts of angry emails from the Amish. No, I'm not. I don't have to worry about talking trash about the Amish. I'm not. I'm, not. I'm just using the – obviously, I'm trying to make a separate point here that, you know, if you can – if you can tell a lie to a government official, like if you can tell a cop, no, I haven't done any drugs today, officer. You no, know, I haven't been drinking today, officer. Like, yeah, I don't have a problem with you lying to reduce coercion, like lying defensively, obviously. So is that, you know, that, and, and that's generally my position on, on Roger Stone. But, uh, you know, he is a personal friend of mine. Am I going to be able to, like, treat him like an asshole of a journalist? As, 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 as like, it just, if I was a regular journalist and just Roger Stone's on my show, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grill him. Like, I'm going to be a dick about it. But, like, I'm not, like, he's my friend, and I'm, I'm bringing him on generally um, to be supportive, you know, of, of his current circumstance and say, look, you know, I, I don't think that, that you should, you doing any jail time for this? I think there's a, there's a lot of political bullshit around your case, and you know I generally support uh, you know your I, I don't know participation in politics. It's hard to say. So and and I say that uh, participation in politics because how did I meet Roger Stone? It was from an event that we did together to support the uh, the Bundy family in Nevada when they were facing federal persecution. If you don't know that story? You can go look it up. The Bundy Ranch, not the Bunny Ranch. The Bundy Ranch episode, and uh, Roger Stone and I spoke at the uh, the stand event in Las Vegas to support them. And he, you know, we got to hang out and, and know each other a little bit. He says he's a libertarian at heart. Um, I have no, I mean, I have I have lots of reasons to question that, but I don't have any reason to say like, oh no, you're not a libertarian because he's never. I mean, supporting Trump against Clinton, you go, well, Walter Block gave you the intellectual cover for that, even as a libertarian. So we're going to be talking about this current situation. We're going to be talking about Trump and bigger politics, all sorts of fun stuff tomorrow. If you have thoughtful questions, I mean, you can you can always email me, Adam, at thefreedomline.com. We'll be checking uh, before our interview tomorrow. And um, you can – we have Common Jim Freedom in studio right now who will also be in studio. In studio tomorrow, watching your comments, excuse me, uh, while we have Roger Stone on. And so if there are live questions, you know, that are that are really burning, we'll give people a chance for that. This is a big interview. It's a lot of fun. we got Mark Victor coming up on Friday as well. Comic Dave Smith will be coming on Wednesday next week. Um, let's see, who else do we, do we have? Uh, we have Kevin Kahn on Monday. And uh, then, then a few more guests lined up next week and scattered out over the next couple of weeks. So Marcus Peel is doing a great job. We got a big economic block to get to today. We got a Ghislaine Maxwell quote from Trump. We're going to hear from CJ. So let's get to our contest really quick. See if we can get in this economic analysis before we uh, before we get to our guests in just a few minutes. So uh, Jim, any uh, burning comments? Uh, I had one that I liked the way you were talking about the testing. Johnny T. Rockwell uh, says he had a group of ten guys that banded together and bought ten tests, opened them all, and made it appear that they took the test. None of them actually took the test. They sent the kids back, and they all came back positive. Wow. Yeah. Well, where did they get them from? I mean, this is this is so if. if who, who was that? That was, was Johnny that? T. Rockwell, who later said he wants to come see the Garden of Freedom. Johnny T. Rockwell. Oh, well, hey, Johnny. Hey, it sounded like I thought it was John, our friend Johnny Rocket for a second. But no, 
Johnny T. Rockwell, hey, please send me an email. I would actually love to see that story substantiated and 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 cover that properly. It's just, but yeah, there. Even in in covering this story, yeah, there are, there are a lot of uh, examples of that out there that are kind of anecdotal. But if if, if someone wants to, you know, send me more details or compile that, I'd, I'd love to cover that. We also have a clip for a contest this morning. Yep. Yep. DJ. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. All right, so name the speaker. This is really good because you know what? If, if this is one of those speeches where, like, if the famous phrase at the end was played, it's not quite at the end in this one. Like, everybody, would go, oh, it's that guy from that thing. That oh, that oh, yeah, I I know I hear that reference all at that speech. But when you hear just that clip, you might, hmm, you got you to really think. It's a good thinking challenge. So who said that? What was the occasion would be, would be the first tiebreaker? And then I think the date, or the date would be the, uh, the, the, the next tiebreaker. Although we kind of want, like, a tiebreaker that you can't just look up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess if we, if, we, if we get to a real, if we have multiple people who can identify the speaker, the circumstance, and the date, I have a tiebreaker question in mind. I'll announce at that point when we get to the end of the show. So with that, yes, what we are giving away today is membership in the Adam vs. the Man Producers Club on Telegram. You can be in the ABTM Producers Club Telegram chat. Worth $10 a month if you want If you want to just pay for it. You can be one of our good, better patrons. Not our best. Our best ones give us more money than that. But our better ones give us $10 from good ones. $5, and if you're okay, if you're just okay, you're very okay. Very, very okay. In fact, you might be the okayest person I know if you give us a dollar a month just to get on for our live stream with our Patreon membership. So let's get into the economic headlines before we get to our guests here. We know that the primary purpose of government is to serve its sponsors, the people who profit from it the lobbyists and the people behind them, the special interests, the lawyers, the politicians, and, of course, the bankers and the war profiteers. So as we look at the corona policy coming out of Washington, D.C., it's very important to keep in mind that the goal of all of this, one way or another, is to ensure that the rich keep getting richer while the poor keep getting poorer. So for an economic analysis of what we're facing right now, let's start with the Forced unemployment crisis, going to zeroedge.com, the real unemployment rate is 21% and heading higher. As businesses, agencies, and organizations recalibrate to the reality that the V-shaped recovery was nothing but a brief fantasy, 6 million additional jobs lost may be a best-case scenario rather than the worst-case scenario. It is somewhat less than reassuring that the official unemployment rate of around 12% is 
is roughly half of the real-world unemployment rate. As always in the wonderful world of statistics, especially politically potent ones, it depends on what you measure, what you don't measure, slash act as if doesn't exist, and how you measure what you do measure. Everyone who digs beneath the headlines, number, headline numbers of employment slash unemployment soon discovers a number of jarring anomalies in what the media presents as factual statistics. The first is that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS, doesn't actually count the number of people who are employed slash unemployed. They rely on a sampling survey of employers, which is more like an election poll than an actual measurement. Now, the all right, the, the chart here, if you would get that back up there, uh, uh, unemployment insurance data for regular state programs, it's got this highlighted from the week ending July 11th versus July 4th, things still going up. Back to the story, untangling the deception here. And remember, 86.54938752169854327.8% of all statistics are total made-up bullshit designed to manipulate you. Secondly, they estimate the number of new businesses which are born and existing businesses that die and then guesstimate the number of additional employees this real-time churn generates. This birth-death model is notoriously inaccurate as it ignores little things like pandemics and is often magically revised to create or eliminate hundreds of thousands of presumed jobs. State unemployment offices tabulate the number of unemployment claims received and processed. These are real numbers, not guesses like the BLS estimates. Wolf Richter prepared a chart of the real unemployment claims numbers, which is reprinted below from his post. 32 million people on state and federal unemployment, second highest ever, week 17 of U.S. labor market collapse. The BLS reported that the U.S. employed workforce stood at about 152 million in February, with 32 million claiming unemployment. That's an employment rate of 21%. How do we arrive at a 12% unemployment rate? We ignore the 14.3 million contract slash gig workers who are currently drawing emergency federal unemployment via pandemic employment, unemployment assistance, PUA, which normally stands for pickup artists, and the 936,000 in the pandemic emergency unemployment compensation program. But even the 21% real world Unemployment rate doesn't reflect the full unemployment picture. Previously, full-time workers who have had their hours cut to part-time aren't counted in unemployment statistics, even though their employment status has changed for the worse. Then there are the millions of workers who were recalled to work as businesses reopened, whose employment is up in the air as the expected return to normal has failed to materialize. This chart is so powerful. Week 17. Total continued claims. This is what they are trying to hide. Oh, unemployment is just 12%. So back to the story here. What? Are, how are they doing this? An entire class of workers has been glossed over. Small business owners who have closed their businesses. Those owners who incorporated and paid unemployment insurance on themselves as employees of the corporation qualified for unemployment, but many small business owners didn't pay themselves as employees 
and their status is uncertain. Now, as the story goes on here, in terms of the numbers, anecdotally, the number of small business owners who have decided to close in recent weeks appears to be significant as the hope for V-shaped recovery failed to materialize even as states reopened. <clears throat> this trend could gather momentum as hope to gaze into realistic assessment and funds borrowed from emergency federal programs runs out. Now, this reminds me, you know, I know this is kind of sounding like a bit of a sidebar here. Our friend Mimi, Honor Mimi Robson, California State Libertarian Party Chair, as soon as California briefly opened up, and they opened up tattoo parlors, she went, she got a tattoo. And it was the last one that they're ever going to do with that tattoo shop. They opened up basically to have a going out of business sale. Now, it doesn't really make sense for a tattoo shop, right? We're going to use the rest of the ink in stock. Like, you know, the ink's not the, the cost of the tattoo, right? That's the time of the tattoo artist. And when we went, and I know this is, we're getting into anecdotal here, but when we went to Prescott for court, to, to go to the Yavapai County Courthouse, we did, we did a little bit of shopping. You know, we went to Walmart and in and out, and I went to Michael's. Uh, to, to buy a frame for uh, a uh, to, to, to frame a, a flower, a pressed flower for my wife, you know. We saw half a dozen going out of business sales signs. How many businesses right now in America are going, oh, we can reopen? Good, we can liquidate inventory and just shut this thing down. Because we're out of here. This business is no longer viable. We don't want we don't want to keep this thing going. That's a significant number out there too that we don't know yet. That's definitely not that now, if the government wants I mean, asking the government to keep track of these things is kind of like a murderer asking a murderer to keep track of your pain levels as he's stabbing you to death, right? Like, <laughs> on a scale of uh, one, 0 to 10, I'm, as, as the neat knife is, you know, entering my chest, I'm, I'm feeling about a 4. Oh, oh, it's hitting my ribs now. Ooh, that's, ooh, that's a 7. Yeah, oh, oh, I can feel it in my lungs. Yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, that's a 10 on the 0 to 10 pain scale. Can you write that down, please? <laughs> No, they're not going to do that. Is the is, is government going to really accurately keep track of how badly it's screwing? Now, somewhere, who's keeping the bankers are keeping track? They know. And, yes, it's somewhere in some government statistic office. They, they've got this data. So, let's skipping ahead of the story, the next bold line here. Could the number of unemployed rise to 38 million from 32 million, a 25% rate of unemployment as businesses, agencies, and organizations recalibrate to the reality that the V-shaped recovery was nothing but a brief fantasy? Six million additional jobs lost may be a best-case scenario rather than a worst-case scenario. And so here you have the, the scary cliff graphic right there, all employees, total non-farm. They have to put this in non-farm payroll. The whole employment statistic thing itself, I just have to point this out, as I always do when when this comes up. It really is a backwards way of looking at things. 
maybe not backwards. Maybe backwards isn't the right term. It's a pro-authoritarian powers that be way of looking at things. To think that 100% employment should be the goal. No. Nonsense. It should be 100% retirement, as in work should be optional for everybody at this point. That we have the wealth and the financial independence that, that everybody can realize their potential as, as an entrepreneur, as an artist, as someone contributing something more meaningful to society than being a cog in the machine, working for a wage slave job, where today the average working American now paying 50% of what they earn to the government when you add it all up. It's disgusting. No. So what are the consequences of this? Let's let's look for a second here to the next story from Bloomberg via Yahoo.com, a glimpse into the fiscal doom bearing down on America's city. So what is the impact for government here, not just at the federal and the state level, but in the ways that the rubber meets the road for a lot of Americans in their relationships with government through the city governments that they live under? In Cincinnati, a city of 300,000 on the banks of the Ohio River, Mayor John Cranley faces cuts to police, fire, and sanitation without more help from Washington. The city has already had it now, Just, oh, gosh. Now, this, this sentence, you know, on its face is sort of factually true. But just the, 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 there's a dangerous lie in the premise behind this that a city of 300,000 people can't provide these things for itself. I mean, yeah, we're all forced into the federal system, forced to use the U.S. dollar as opposed to money that's not designed to rip us off. Okay, so yeah, and on its face, current circumstances, yeah, it may be true. But that there's this dependence on authority. Like, if it wasn't for the big daddy central government authority, cities and local governments and you and your community, you couldn't handle that. This is a very, very dangerous premise of statism that needs to be deconstructed, even just in, in covering this, this, this you know, economic analysis. The city has already had to tiptoe back from the fiscal abyss earlier this year by temporarily laying off a quarter of its workforce and balancing its budget with debt. So, yeah, shocking, right? This is, this is supposed to be news. A government agency has oh, gov- a, a city government has to use debt to cut to no that's seventy percent of Cincinnati's revenue comes from taxes on wages and with the coronavirus continuing to spread leaving record of joblessness in its wake Cranley says he fears permanent declines in essential services I do have to point out a little bit of mainstream media propaganda here even too the coronavirus is not leaving record joblessness in its wake. I mean, that's just the sensationalism of that sentence. Yeah. Sensationalism used to perpetuate a lie. And the lie is that the virus is responsible for the unemployment crisis as opposed to the government shutdowns. The pandemic reduced tax collections across the country as safety precautions to limit the spread of the virus shuttered businesses and kept shoppers and tourists at home. A resurgence of the virus has forced states to reverse or slow reopenings. And again, okay, got to point out the lie here. No, no, no. 
a resurgence in statistics has given governments fresh excuses to violate your rights, to, slow, to reverse or slow reopening. This is uh, just, all right, but it, to the point of the story here, discussion over what to do about America's depleted cities reaches a climax of sorts this week. As congressional leaders say, they'll hammer out an aid package in May, a $3.5 trillion round of stimulus that includes roughly $1 trillion for state and local governments passed the U.S. House only to stall in the Republican-controlled Senate. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said the Senate will attempt to craft a bill of its own, while the White House has put a $1 trillion ceiling on additional federal aid. Now, why is it, you know, why is it happening like this, right? Why? Are they, well, you think, well, Adam, they, they want, if, you're, if governments are so evil and, and the governments are behind this, don't they want governments to be strong? Well, they don't want local governments to be strong. They don't want city governments to be strong. They want federal governments to be, the federal government to be strong. More easy to manipulate is a consolidation of wealth and power. So, As long as they can get the majority of the American people to buy into or passively go along with the narrative that local governments can't function without the federal government overbearing, providing guidance and economic relief and blah, 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 they can't, they're, they're okay with this upheaval because what's the result going to be? More consolidation of power in the federal government. Now, where does this come down to actually affecting most Americans? You know, like, what is, you know, we've talked about the situation that a lot of people find themselves in right now. The, the millions on unemployment going, you know, hey, is this, you know, government assistance going to allow me to continue to eat, let alone pay my rent while there's an eviction moratorium on here, and I haven't paid my rent in months? This is a big deal. This is not just some abstract analysis, there are millions of Americans today, and it's hard to say how many, certainly more than a few, maybe less than, is it, is it you know, somewhere less than 50 million, a one in six Americans maybe? You know, we see the unemployment at, at, at possibly 32 million or 32 million people on, on unemployment assistance. There's a lot of others who are affected by that. I mean, you say it's only one in six Americans you know, really directly experiencing this economically. How many of them have dependents, children, spouses, uh, you know, other people who depend on them? How many people are maybe not in the desperate situation that we've been describing of, can't pay rent, running out of savings, about fa about to face, on a, you know, eviction? Because, yeah, they, there are, for, for every person who's in that, right now, you know, what to me is that, you know, the, the prototypical worst-case scenario. And remember, all the stuff we talked about with unemployment, not counting people who aren't, you know, working on their, how many, how many people are working under the table? How many babysitters? Just, how many people, and I know this is like a bad example, it's just one small example, right? But, hey, well, guess what? Parents forced to stay at home, children forced to stay at home. Maybe there are not a lot of people hiring babysitters. But you're not allowed to have, you know, if you, someone, you or you, someone in your home tested positive in Hidalgo County, Texas, you're not allowed to have visitors. Of course, you can't have a babysitter come and babysit your kids. 
How many people have bartenders, servers working under the table, people working in just informal employment arrangements? But even not counting them, just the prototypical person who's, you know, paying rent, living paycheck to paycheck, boom, paycheck disappears. Moratorium on rent kicks in, and now you're four months behind on rent, you have no savings left, your prospects for a job are pretty grim. So we go now to CNET.com. COVID rent relief is ending. Will July 25 bring a tsunami of eviction? It's a big question we got to ask here. Now, there's a bit of a fear-mongering angle around this that that some pundits have engaged with, and I don't want to play into that because I've done this a little bit in prior shows. Oh, my God, yes, there's a tsunami of evictions coming. It doesn't look quite like it's going to be that bad. At least it looks like it's not going to be that sudden, I should say. Right? And if it was sudden, it would be worse. And if it was, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna bring the pain on slowly and in waves here. Remember, the federal moratorium on eviction is somewhat limited in its application, as, as, as Jim did a little research on this morning. And then it's not just, hey, we made it. There's a federal law. You can't evict anybody. That, that would be a bit of a stretch, right? Because we pointed out that they couldn't do that even if they tried in a case where, like, I'm if I'm renting to someone here in Gardenia saying, yeah, you give me $400 a month and you can camp here, then and I decide to kick them out, they're not going to be able to stop me, right? If it's I'm renting a spare bedroom or it's Airbnb, no, they're not going to be able to stop you from, you know, the, the casual eviction. They stop for what was it, businesses that were receiving federal aid, federal housing assistance, Section 8, or were federally sponsored some other way as part of a federal HUD program. So that is, is, is that everybody who's renting? No, it's just a minority of renters in, in the United States. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of minorities. By the way, the whole, this is affecting, you know, black people disproportionately. It's like, well, it's affecting poor people. I'm making people who are, you know, like, hey, you got a government job, you're you're paying for government insurance, you're on the, you know, unemployment team. All right, we'll take care of you. Oh, you wanted to be free? Oh, you didn't want to? Oh, you wanted a job where you didn't have to pay for the warfare state? You didn't want to subsidize the military-industrial complex with your labor? Sorry, you're not on our list for relief. So what happens if Congress doesn't pass another stimulus bill to extend or replace current protections? Here's what we know. Will there be an eviction moratorium after the Federal CARES Act runs out on July 25? If you're one of nearly 12 million U.S. adults living in a household that didn't make rent this month, month, you might have to brace yourself for the tsunami of evictions that's approaching a state and national rent protections are set to expire in the coming days. Federal eviction protection ends July 25 and the federally enhanced unemployment benefit that adds $600 a week expires days later. So it says 12 million U.S. households living in a household that didn't make rent this month. Plus kids, 24 million. Plus those that can't make rent, plus those that didn't make rent in months prior. This seems actually a little low. Because 12 million U.S. adults living, you know, how many of those live alone, how many of those live together? This seems like an under-inclusive statistic to me. But it is worth putting it in proportion to see how many are affected by each expiring eviction moratorium, because it's not just the federal one 
it's the state. And then it's the actual eviction enforcement policy because evictions have to go through a legal process. It's not just, ah, you're evicted, get out, right? You know, you file a legal notice, and it depends on what, what just jurisdiction you are, uh, you're in. The U.S. Senate is now actively discussing a second stimulus check as part of a larger rescue bill. But right now, there's no legislation set to replace or extend these and other relief measures. Meanwhile, statewide eviction bans have mostly either already ended or will do so soon, with many with no replacement in sight. Michigan, for example, let its eviction moratorium lapse, as have several other states. A handful of states never canceled evictions to begin with. Where does this leave? Where does this all leave you in August? Rents still due on the first or can or excuse me. <laughs> is August rent still due on the first or can you still get an extension? Can your landlord even evict you if your payment is late? What laws, if any, can you help can help you keep your home as you weather the coronavirus recession? Will there be any another stimulus check and rescue package that might help? You know, there's a lot to consider here. And the last thing in this story says, ask your landlord for a reduction or extension. In almost all instances, it's probably best to work out an arrangement with your landlord or leasing agency, if at all possible. Although some landlords have reacted to the pandemic by reportedly putting even more pressure on tenants to pay up, others have risen to the occasion, some going so far as to stop collecting rent payments for the next few months. Now, a lot of those are not going reported in that 12 million number. So, yeah, this is going to get uglier here. What is my conclusion on this? It's going to continue to get rougher over the next few months. This is not going to be a cliff like the forced unemployment cliff. They are going to uh, let this one happen slowly. So what is the what's the effect of all this? The Fed is going to buy stocks. Yeah, really beautiful, stark headline from Forbes.com, Kevin Coldiron. The Fed is going to buy stocks. I don't know precisely when. Sorry, day traders. But it will happen, and probably soon. The first half of the Fed's dual mandate is to promote maximum employment. That means avoiding and mitigating recessions. Supporting the S&P 500 is central to this effort, not because a fall in the market signals a recession is coming but because it is the recession. This isn't what we're taught in Economics 101, and frankly, it isn't how most economics, economists understand the market. So the idea requires a little backstory. No, it doesn't. The backstory is the creature from Jekyll Island, known as the Federal Reserve. That's the book by uh, G. Edward Griffin. If you really want to understand what the Federal Reserve is set up to do, surprise, surprise, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Maintain full unemployment. Yeah, okay. The stock market falling is the recession? No, I don't buy it. Because stock market prices, as we learned from, of all people, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon just a couple months ago, not even, that it is the Federal Reserve liquidity that is propping up stock market prices right now. Which leads us to the next piece of propaganda from Forbes.com. Will the economy crash if the $600 federal unemployment isn't extended. Now, in order to ask this question, you have to ignore all the other questions, which would be, why did America get so dependent on the federal government relief in the first place? Why do we not reclaim financial independence and say, we're not going to put up with this system set up to exploit and rip us off anymore? Why 
Do we believe this propaganda? Why do we accept a system set up this way? Why are we facing an evictions crisis that is going to put millions and millions of Americans out of their homes in the coming months? Well, more importantly, why don't we do something about it? And I know after just covering all of this economic propaganda, I, to, to, to go put a, a decisive conclusion on this is, is almost, you know, feeling artificially tacked on. But in, in, in all the things that we as libertarians have been advocating for years, buy Bitcoin, buy gold and silver, get away from the dollar, don't let the government control your economy or you're going to suffer. And as much as you can, arrange your own personal economic life to make yourselves impervious from this kind of manipulation. Well, if you had listened, you'd be a lot more comfortable right now, as a lot of us are. And with that, we go to our guest. I, is, is, I saw the note on screen and then go away. We have, we have Rick with us. All right, well, Rick, thank you so much for waiting. Ladies and gentlemen, Frederick Rick Stralo coming to us. As our guest today on Adam versus the Man, as uh, as he wanted to say, we could discuss his civil disobedience because the court sentenced him to 20 days in jail, two years probation for assault causing bodily injury to a family member, and now he is facing a threat of probation being revoked. Rick, welcome to Adam versus the Man. I know you have been someone who has been motivated and inspired by this message and seeing other civil disobedience. I've, I know that you've been engaged with this show for a long time. It's an honor to have you on as a guest. Before we jump into your immediate legal situation, is there anything that you want us to know or you want to say about your background and, and what Adam versus the man has meant for you over the years? I, I, I mean, I started following you about the time you started organizing that walk to, to D.C. Remember that? You kind of fell through, and that's when you decided to do the uh, shotgun routine on the uh, Freedom Plaza. Oh, I Plaza. remember. In Freedom Plaza, there you did the little rack in the shotgun. They said that was no, that wasn't legal, so they came and got you for that. So that's when I started following you. So I followed you quite a while, helped you with the campaign a little bit. Passed, passed yep. Out a lot oh yeah, definitely noticed that. Handed out several of the books and stuff like that. So yeah, I still haven't actually met you in person, but one day, you know, it'll happen. And uh, yeah. Well, it gets less and less. Maybe, maybe when we finally meet face to face next, it'll be uh, it'll be with hazmat suits, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and I saw the uh, your uh, video the other day from the the first cannabis or first church of cannabis, you know, and uh, that was excellent. I, I was wondering what happened to in Texas there because I know I I watched you get arrested and all that. Got stopped twice in one day. <laughs> <laughs> within like an hour from each other so you are the master yeah no thank, thank you for thank you for mentioning that and if anybody wants to to go back and see what what rick is referencing here it's that uh i i basically beat four felonies and a misdemeanor drug charges in texas with the religious defense and uh got it negotiated down essentially to 180 dollar fine if you want to look that up adam kokesh first church of cannabis the really fun video and, and Rick, I'm, I'm glad that it was at least some inspiration for you in asserting your own rights here, right? Yes, sir. And, and you know, I, I'm going August 3rd will be the four four years that I've been uh, 
dodging the, this warrant, which is no fun. I can't get a new driver's license, so that's going to, you know, stop me from, from voting pretty soon. Not that I voted anyway, but, and, you know, I ran in 2014, I ran as a Libertarian Party candidate. And that's about the same time uh, I got arrested on October 1st of 2014, and the election was uh, November, right? So well, this is going back to 2014, right? Yeah, from 2014. And what happened was it, me and my little sister, my I call her my niece, because really she's my niece, but my mom and stepdad adopted her, so now she's my niece. So anyway, she's about the same age as my youngest daughter, about 23, 24, and... Anyway, I got into it because she, she, my mom was babysitting her daughter, and anyway, I, I asked her to do something, and she just looked at me like, go to hell, and I said, all right. So the next day, she came over, and I saw her, and I confronted her. I said, man, you got to start helping mom. She just got out of the hospital. She, you know, she, you, you got to help her, and she started screaming and hollering at me and pushing me. Next thing I know, she grabbed me by the throat, and, and I just popped her one time in the nose, and down she went on the ground, and she Decided to call the sheriff, so the sheriff came out. It took quite a while for the sheriff to get there because, you know, Henderson County is quite a, quite a ways around. Anyway, my mom and them beat him back, and she's my mom was telling me to get out of there before the cops got there, and I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to wait. So when the cop got there, they saw my little sister with the bloody nose and, and me. I didn't have no marks or anything, and I'm the, you know, the guy. So they handcuffed me, and off to jail I went. Spent the night there. It was about a $7,500 bond. But, yeah, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> it wasn't too bad, but she should have went to jail, too, because they lied and, and told the cops that, uh, you know, I was on top of her, punching her like four or five times in the head, and that's that, that wasn't even true, you know. I mean, I hit her one time, and just because she's a female. Anyway, and she had a witness. No, 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 no. I, it's, I, I don't know. If I may just it, – it, it's, it's – wor- I'm, I'm, I'm glad that – our audience is getting to consider this story right now. And I, I just, what I want to point out is that when you call the police to respond to a domestic dispute, they're not going to bring justice with them. They're not going to figure out a way to resolve the situation and make the victim whole and come up with a fair assessment on whether physical isolation is appropriate, right? Whether it's appropriate, because there are cases where, yes, there you want, it is justified to intervene in a, in a private dispute because someone is, is, is being hurt or being threatened in a meaningful way, and you need to physically isolate one person from the other. Right. But that's the only tool the police bring other than shooting the dog, Filing false arrest charges, you know what? 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 You know, they're not. They're actually like it would, and it would be nice, right? And if more police were trained in de-escalation, but even if they if they were, they're not incentivized to do that, right? They get a call to respond to an incident where there's a, where where there's some kind of you know physical altercation involved, and they have to they're, they're, they go in with certain tools, certain incentives, certain motivations. And they have to, they want to get it done and be ready for the next call as soon as possible. They, 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 they're not motivated to de-escalate, to, make, to not make an arrest. They're motivated to, to apply the tool they have to arrest someone, to take them in and lock them up. And the system wants it that way because that's what they profit from, right? So 
when they're doing that, the same crap that you're going to get in, in a sort of criminal or other type of interaction with police is going to apply if someone says, well, he hit me, and please take him away. Well, we can't take him away because based on what you said, but we can lie in our police report just just a little bit, or we can distort things, we can exaggerate just a little bit, and then we can justify taking someone away. And the, the effect of this is, you know, don't call police unless you absolutely have to, because what are they going to do? They're going to make it worse for everybody. They're going to, instead of, you know, making it fair or resolving the situation, making it safe, it's just, who's the loser? Who's the loser? Is it the dog? Do we shoot the dog? If we decide the dog's the loser, we're just going to shoot the dog when we approach and the dog approaches us. Oh, it's usually the man, because that's easier to, you know, distort as opposed to the woman involved in a case like this. Not to get into the whole, you know, who's responsible sexism issue here, but this is one of the cases where the system is set up for um, to promote male-on-male violence at the dis- to the disadvantage of men through police because they don't care. Let's come up with an excuse to send you to jail. Do you feel like that's part of what happened here, Rick? Well, kind of, yeah, and the bad part is that I told my little sister to call my mom first, and she called my mom first before she called 911, so, and my mom told her to go ahead and call the, call the cop. My mom should have handled it, and my mom now, today, she looks back and she thinks that I shouldn't have called the cops, you know, from what she knows now. Yes, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, oh man, that is, I want, I want, I, I'm sorry to interrupt again, Rick, no, because I, I, I really have to underscore the point of this for the audience, because I've gotten away from, you know, promoting bad cop porn, because at some point, that's what it becomes, right? Well, bad cop did this, bad cop did You watch the video. Oh, look at this. This incident is police brutality. That one. I had a cop that I'm kind of familiar with him, Sergeant Goodall. He'd been around for a while. And, uh, you know, he he wasn't mean to me or nothing. He took me, you know, he took care of me all the way to jail, 85 miles an hour, handcuffed in the front seat of his truck. But but other than that, you know, it wasn't too bad. A little scary. Rick, we have to let people know. Like, is it what is it? It was because you're because of the mom in this case. Well, my mom calling the police was the good was the right idea. We have to like when I say Don't only call police. call police as a last resort. Right. People have to understand what that means and why I say that is because you call the police, bad shit is going to happen one way or another. Like, you, you I, I don't want to say absolute certainty, obviously, but, no, you really increase the risk of making someone an unnecessary victim of the police state and the criminal justice system. So it, I, it, we, what we are doing, anybody, you know, uh, copblock.com, any, anybody who's sharing these police and, and law enforcement and, and, you know, legal consequence court system horror stories, even even relatively petty ones, what we are doing is saving lives, not just dogs' lives, that's, but you know, saving lives of people who get run through the ring. Man, I mean, there's, the First Amendment auditors are really doing a, a good job. Some of them, now there's some bad ones out there, don't get me wrong, but there's some really good ones. The Batusai and Philip Turner, who got Turner versus Driver here in Texas, you know, and, and uh, News Now Houston, David down there in Houston, making making the cops, holding them accountable. Justin Pulliam, holding them accountable. You know, we got some good First Amendment auditors around the country. You know, yep, absolutely. If, if, if you don't know what a First Amendment audit is, 
Google the term, look it up. Basically, it just means going recording government officials, auditing them to find out how much they respect the First Amendment right to report in public. And it's a, thing it's a about the First Amendment auditors, you know, they're independent guys, so they get they make money from the people, and that you know, and they're going to freak, you know. Anyway, they're good guys. I mean, I like what they're doing. Some of them, <laughs> there's a couple of them that just go cussing the cops, and, and I don't agree with that. I don't think anybody should be cussing another person. You know, we, we got to talk civilly to each other. So, Rick, before we get into the political implications of your case. Yes, sir. Because this is this is a interesting intersection here where we have seen, like, and, you know, it, when, when, when everybody, everybody in America is subject to this kind of bullshit, and then it happens to a libertarian who just so happens to be running for office, it's hard to say, well, they're fucking with you because you're running for office. Yeah, once. Like, they're they're that, just messing with everybody all the time. I don't think that right? was it at all. I wasn't a, I wasn't a major player in the in the game there, but I did get 11% of the vote. Hey. Well, if they can keep you from being – I mean, if they can just – right now, the it's not really fair for Republicans and Democrats to say, well, you know, it's it's not a big deal for us to leave libertarians off of the ballot or out of this poll because you know they're they're insignificant. It's like, well, why why are we insignificant? Because part of it is because of this kind of harassment. Part of it is because continuously being left out. But before we get to that, what I want I want can you give us like a depth, uh, sort of a a complete accounting of of how much you have been victimized by the state over this incident? How much time, how much money, how much harassment, how much jail time, how much you've had to put into dealing with this? Since, I just spent that like, over that the last six years. I just spent the, one night in jail, right? But then the court dates, and I got a court-appointed attorney who, who I thought was going to be a really good guy. He's a retired Dallas cop, a veteran, you know, from the Army, and I thought he was going to be a good guy. He didn't do nothing for me. He didn't do a dang thing for me. And... That, that's where I'm trying to go to is the ineffective assistance of counsel. And that is, that's really hard to prove and without an attorney. And I've been, I've been to trial, got tried, convicted by, by a jury of my peers, six people in Texas. They do that for a mis, it's only a class A misdemeanor. That's probably why they haven't really come and got me. If it was a felony, they'd probably been kicking in my door already. But right. since it's a class A misdemeanor, I said class C, class A misdemeanor, four years. I mean, $4,000 and up to a year in jail is what the punishment is for a class A. And so um, I went through that trial and all of that stuff. And shoot, just, just going to court and that, that stuff every day, you know, in the trial. Just, they, the jury went out for five minutes. I mean, five minutes. They, they didn't even have time to sit down and take a roll call, man. I mean, I went outside to smoke a cigarette. Before I even finished, they were already back. So. Wow. Yeah. And then the judge, she really liked me, Miss Judge. I don't know if I should say her name on <laughs> Judge. It's all public record, right? Judge Perryman. She's a good girl. I mean, I like her. She's a nice judge, but she's an ass. She's a judge. She's a you know, she's a, a bar member. That's all I can say. The bar. Members <laughs> of the bar are no good for me. And, and they effectively taken over the government anyway. The bar. Presidents have been bar members, you know, and it just goes on. The legislatures, most of them are all bar members. Yeah. And so that, now I can't get a driver's license. If I go down there to get a driver's license, they're going to arrest me. So having to drive around, worried about that all the time, you know. 
or I get me a driver. I got me, I got real close to getting, getting the pinned up. But watching some of the First Amendment auditors, I found out that you don't have to ID if you're a passenger in the car. So we got pulled over at 2 a.m. at a McDonald's and in a faraway land of Corsicana. And, uh, we got, he asked me for my ID and I told him no. So I got away there. We, and we didn't even get a ticket that night. He let us go. But, but that's pretty scary, you know. I'm, it's just a matter of, you know, it could, he could have went, he could have went south on me and started wanting my ID, demanding my ID, getting my ID like they, like I've seen them do. So I was, again, lucky. That wasn't too long ago. And now, um, well, they want to revoke my probation. <laughs> that's what, that's what the KPS warrant is, I guess. And I just, I just stay low, stay off the radar. I have been like to, what is it, free the weed and a couple of other little, little outings here and there. And I went, to, I decided to go to the, uh, the precinct conventions in the, in the county convention and, uh, and I was pretty much done with the, the party after that. Well, it's, uh, you mentioned that you were sued by Greg Abbott as the attorney general for failing to turn in a, a piece of paperwork that resulted in this, this judgment of, of $13,000. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's funny one. Yeah, $13,600 or $200, I think, anyway, somewhere around that number, for failing to turn in a personal finance report, which, I mean, I don't make any money. I'm on Social Security disability. I don't have any any assets really to claim. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. Well, anyway, not in my name. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so they sued me for that. And you know that I guess that's still on there. They also took me to criminal court for that, which I had to go all the way to Austin. Now I, I didn't answer the 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 civil court case. I just I ignored that one, and I ignored all the letters that they kept on sending me about me owing the money because I thought they were stupid anyway. And the only one that had a real gripe about it should have been the Republican that I was running against, Dr. Spitzer. He's the only one that really had a legitimate gripe, you know, about my reports to me. That's my idea, but the Texas Ethics Commission decided they would come after me. And I wasn't the only libertarian. There was a whole, there's a whole bunch of us that were on the list. And if you look, there's still several of us on the uh, Texas Ethics Commission bad boy list or delinquent fire filers. <laughs> I'm still on there. I'm not the number one. I used to be pretty high up on the, on the ranking there and the, and the amount of money owed, but there's some other ones that got way higher than that now. So I guess they're trying to collect. All right, Rick, so we've got a couple people in the comments here asking about the flag flying behind you, especially after CJ, our producer, yesterday, uh, at least in our, in our patron-only post-production show, uh, said that would be the only flag he would support flying because the conventional flag of the United States is technically a wartime flag. Why, why are you... Sitting behind or sitting in front of uh, of the flag that we see there. What? That, that's the peace flag, Adam. I tried to get you to fly that out there the, at Gardenia, I guess you're calling it now. It was Freedom Ranch. It was Freedom Farm. Yeah, we, hey, we, we, we have our own flag now. It's, it, I, it's I, I, I you, That's what you told me. You were going to have your own flag. So. <laughs> but I tried to get you to fly this one. That's the U.S. the U.S. civil flag or the peace flag. And if you notice, the... This, the lines go across instead of the other way, vertical, horizontal. I get those two mixed up. <laughs> anyway. So, Rick, just you've been through a lot with this case. 
Yeah, we've got other cases too, Adam, but we won't. Not, not, not my rap sheet, nothing compared to yours, brother. Nothing, or your uh, resume, I should say. Not a rap sheet, it's a resume. <laughs> yeah, my case, it's a resume. Thank you. Well, it, with, with your case, what are the takeaways? You know, what do you want people to learn from your experience? Well, I, I'm not guilty. So, and, and, the, and it was kind of ramrodded and it was kind of a bad deal. My attorney didn't do anything for me. My appeals attorney couldn't do anything for me because trying to prove the ineffective assistance of counsel, it's a mess. And, and how you got to bring that up, it's got to be in post-conviction. And trying to find an attorney to go pro bono is, uh, in a criminal case, it's not easy to find one of them. They all want money. I don't blame them. You know, it's what makes the world go around or, or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know, Adam. I, I mean, I'm going to continue until they catch me, I guess, and then I'll have to deal with, then I'm going to call everybody and make sure we get my story out. You know, it is kind of a weird thing to be facing this right now, and I and I, um, and I mean under coronaphobia lockdowns and martial law and, and the economic upheaval that we're experiencing right now. I'm hoping that a lot of people with relatively petty cases are going to be able to just, you know, let that shit go, you know, just, no, nah, you know what, hey, I couldn't respond to your letters because coronaphobia, or like, oh, you know how you wanted me to come to court and you got me for failure to, well, my grandma lives with me at home and I can't go to court because then I might get her infected, like, you know, I, I hope that, you know, the, the coronaphobia is an effective excuse against enforcing all of this, you know, all these, these petty victimless crime probation, violation, failure to appear, you know, sort of bullshit legal circumstances. So, Rick, I, well, if you get to the next phase, if there's anything you need to update us for on your case, we'd love to have you back again. And I, I hope that, that your story in this interview can serve as an appropriate warning for people who don't know, like, yeah, even then, don't call, no, no even then, don't, what about, no, even then, don't call the police. Yeah, don't mean. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I that's la last resort. Usually, when you have somebody dead, you have to call them. <laughs> you know, that might be a time. Well, I still wouldn't dial nine one one though. If they're dead already, you just dial the regular number. They'll try to get you on that one too. <laughs> be calling nine one one when it ain't an emergency or something stupid. All right, yep. brother, I appreciate you, man, having me on the show. I appreciate. I get you got Roger Stone coming on tomorrow. That's the most excellent deal going on there, brother. That's gonna Thank be you for the mistakes for him. Peace and love to you, brother. All right. Bye-bye. Right. We got a few more headlines we're going to get through right now. We are going to do a, a post show today, and we've got a clip for a contest giving away membership in the Adam versus the Man Producers Club. To me, let's do one more. CJ, if you would be, please play that audio one more time from the clip of the day for the Producer Club giveaway contest. Not the video. We don't want to give it away. There. All right. Careful. Careful there, CJ. What are we getting pulled up? All right. Just the audio. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. 
We annually right, spend on military. We're going to give this one away too much. Yeah, there's some, there's some pretty important key words. This speech that, that we're playing a clip from, and we'll talk about this in the post show like we did with our Perot clip yesterday. That was a lot of fun, by the way. But if you want to join us, well, actually, I, you know, doing the show from my phone, one of the cool things is I can see in my alerts what, man, that was a little harsh. Uh, when people are signing up for Patreon. Well, I'm seeing right now we got people joining up at our $1 level. And if you want to join us for just a dollar a month, you can be in our patron-only exclusive live broadcast, which is going to be the only way we'll be broadcasting live starting next month. Now, did I – did my signal get lost? Am I still connected? Can you hear me? Is that coming through? Uh, can anybody hear me? Guys, let's see. It looks live. Can you hear it? It looks live? This is my display. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll just wait for my display to refresh, and we'll just jump right into it here. So, comments and freedom. Any, any hot comments we got to interject with, or should we wait till the end of the show? We got, I mean, our audience is always awesome. Yeah. But I, I figure, you know, and, and I'm sorry for to Rick, of course, we, we delayed that interview by a few minutes so that I could finish that economic analysis block, but I felt like it was really good for me, even even personally, to just, okay, here's the here's here's where things are economically right now in the United States. No comment, though? Uh, not much. People were pretty quiet while the interview was going on, so they must have been pretty interested. Uh, if one person had a similar situation, Manuel Sevilla, a friend of mine, got into an argument with her girlfriend, physically assaulted him. The neighbors called the cops and they sided with her. Yeah, no, and, and just to get into the uh, the, the intersection of this issue, you know, I, there are a lot of there's this subtle racism that I see in a lot of people that it's really just from ignorance, not from, you know, an actual racist worldview or belief, but we hear a white person, the hero's Adam jumping in and making it about race, totally unnecessarily, just for fun for this show, for your benefit, let me grab a third rail, uh, wave it around and see how many people I can smack with it. Uh, no, but like it's, it, you know, we hear we hear the stories from a white dude like Rick, you know, yeah, and even among white people who experience challenges with the government, like he did with with the criminal justice system, he is rare in his comfort speaking out and to tell that story because. He knows that he's going to be, oh, you, oh, you have a domestic violence charge. Oh, and you know what? We were in, t- when we went to town to check the mail last time you were there with, uh, with Peter, there's a sex offender notice on the bulletin board outside the post office in Asheville. And I read the details. And this is because the, the county sheriff is legally required to post as much as appropriate to alert the community when a registered sex offender moves to town. This guy is, I think, 39 years old, and they have to, they, they, they have to put the charge on them. 
right? And it was the charge. You go, oh, so when, when you look at this, if you, if you look at this, you skim this thing. You see the guy's name. You see the picture. You see registered sex offender alert. You see charge. Attempting sexual relations with a minor. And then you read the paragraph below it, and it was, he was 19, and the alleged victim, and the charge is, attempting sexual contact with a person under 15 years of age. Not rape. Not sexual assault. Not statutory rape. Attempted sexual contact with a person... That can happen by accident. Yeah. And we're talking about so we're talking about a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old. That's not as offensive as like it was an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old and he did time for statutory rape. And those are there are more horrific cases like that. The reason I'm getting into all of this is you think, okay, well, this guy now has this following him around for the rest of his life. Anywhere he moves. If he has a little residence anywhere in America, America, the county sheriff is going to go post his picture and register a sex offender all over town. When black people in America don't have the same access to redress of grievances in a situation like that, when they know they're going to be judged more harshly by the public, there, if, if a black man finds himself in Rick's situation, he faces extra reasons to not speak out. When they talk about how many millions of black men are on paper in the United States, on probation, whatever, how many of them are for just bullshit cases like this? And what do they do? They, they're not, they're, when, when you're a, when that happens to you, imagine if it happened to you, as a 19-year-old black man. Or it happened to you as a teenager. You know, you got followed by security in the store. Right? You got falsely accused of shoplifting. Are you even going to bother to come out and tell this story the way that Rick just told his? No. And so I point this out to say that even I, even, even someone who was conscientiously not racist, can be led to a racist judgment by not keeping all of this in mind. And I might end up being less sympathetic to a black man telling a story like Rick's versus a white dude. And I, I don't say this because, oh, my audience is so big, there's so many racists you need. But no, I think this is an important point to keep in mind as you know, racism becomes uh, a, a better addressed and understood topic in America. And it, it's it's tempting when you're being accused, you're a white person, you're racist, and everybody's racist. And to, to say, uh, just, no, I don't want anything, no, it's not me, fuck all. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not the one you're going, well, and it's like, we don't, we're not going after you. And even me, and this isn't my primary cause. Statism is a much greater threat to humanity than racism. <laughs> let me be. Let me be. Per, let me be clear. Uh, yeah, this is. But in, in as someone who is a libertarian, because 
of compassion, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to dismiss racism. I'm going to want to examine it from a point of compassion and empathy. And I think it's important that, that we keep that in mind and that we remind people of that, and, you know, really for everybody. So I got to get through some headlines now. Uh, we're going to come back to your comments, see if we have any winners. Or do we, do we have any funny bad guesses for our contest? Uh, I believe one person guessed uh, Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson is incorrect. Okay. But uh, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting it's guess. Not, I mean, not it's a bad guess. It's, well, I mean, should, should I drop a clue? There's there's one thing that that person has categorically in common yeah, uh, with our speaker. Oh, do we do have six six correct? Well, see now, that's kind of giving it away too. Correct. I just said we have six answers. Six answers total. Okay, so there are other incorrect ones all over the place. So, so there's probably a couple correct ones in there. So tiebreaker, you got to state what was the occasion for this particular speech and then the date. So. To our headlines, we are going to get to the Donald Trump Gillian Maxwell quote that we saw that, that uh, CJ wants us to address. So from Reuters.com, U.S. orders China to shut Houston consulate and move Beijing calls unprecedented escalation. Now, uh, these are countries that have both fought massive wars that led to the deaths of millions of innocent people. I'd hardly call Closing a consulate, unprecedented, but it is a unique move right now in the escalation of tensions between the government of China and the government of the United States. The United States has told China to close its consulate in Houston in a dramatic worsening of ties between the world's two biggest economies. And a source said Beijing was considering shutting the U.S. consulate in Wuhan in retaliation. Washington abruptly demanded closure of the Houston consulate on Tuesday, China's foreign ministry said, calling the move an unprecedented escalation. The editor of an official Chinese media outlet said China had been given 72 hours to do so. Now, this is, this is yeah, this is unique. This is, in, in this sense, absolutely unprecedented. And what is, so there's got to be an excuse, right? Someone's going, all right, the State Department isn't just like, ah, yeah, you, of all the Chinese people in the world, you piss off him right here. No, the State Department said the move was made to protect American intellectual property and Americans' private information. Well, by that logic, shouldn't we be kicking the federal government out of the rest of America? I just, all right. And the intellectual property thing here doesn't really work for most Americans. Now, most Americans are not, at least they don't, well, now on social media we all are, but we don't consider ourselves intellectual property creators. Now, as a content producer, deliberately with Adam versus the man, obviously we are producing content. And I have never claimed any form of intellectual property over anything that I've produced. Because intellectual property is wrong. It's a racket. It's a violation of your rights as an individual. It's a violation of uh, your property rights. Because you either have real property or you have fictional intellectual property. You can't really have both. Or at least you have to give precedent to one or the other. 
And this is it's a really underexamined topic in the United States to say, what about intellectual property? Now that it's coming up as an international issue with China stealing patents, stealing design, stealing content, you can't steal an idea. If that were the case, we would owe whoever invented fire a lot of money. I guess fires on um, the ways that we start fire. Whoever invented the wheel, you know, we would owe them a lot of money if we were all stealing from them by using that idea. So to see it as part of this is not surprising, but disappointing, of course, as always, that this is part of what is used as the excuse. And yes, yes, I will blame America. I will blame the, the, the masses of humanity for having allowed government to get away with this, this intellectual property racket as a whole, right? We have let this go unexamined. And I, I mean, Jim, I don't know for you growing up if this was ever an issue, but maybe it was just me. At some point, I was always like, wait, intellectual, can't I download songs without having to pay for them? Do I have to? And then he just, at some point as a kid, there was something that struck, it was like, wait, this doesn't add up. And I let it go. I let it go until decades later as a libertarian pundit trying to make my worldview more complete and have a better understanding of, of things. I was like, oh, yeah, you know that little thing that's stuck in the back of your mind about intellectual property? Maybe you should Maybe you should resolve that now. Maybe you should answer that question. Maybe you should be able to answer these questions that you are uh, – if someone asks you these questions to examine the premises of how you are living your life, Maybe you should have good answers to that, right? And like for for the average American, this is the, we are very well encouraged to sweep the issue of intellectual property under the rug. But it does determine a huge amount of how we all go about our lives. Do we pirate videos? Do we do we pay for content or not? I mean, there's there's one, right? Now I I'm all in favor of supporting content producers who you want to support. I'm asking for support on Patreon. I'm not using the racket of intellectual property uh, as a government racket to violate your individual property rights as, as as part of how I hope to make money from this operation, right? But it goes so much deeper than that. Do you respect brand names? Do, do you go and buy knockoffs? Uh, you know, you look at the streets of New York, every street corner practically, well, maybe not now, I don't know, but you see, you know, Louis Vuitton bags to use the iconic cliche. Do you respect that Louis Vuitton owns this symbol with the LV and that you don't have a right to stamp it on something? Because that intellectual property creates a corporate oligopoly, an exclusion, an exclusiveness that they are able to force on people that limit your choices now as a consumer. If you say as a consumer, I am going to respect intellectual property. Now, I'm going to respect government's threats about enforcing intellectual property. I am going to respect intellectual property. Uh, I am going to fall for this racket, and I am going to direct my economic behavior accordingly. Well, there are consequences to that, and you suffer as a result. The music industry is the big example that I love, right? Why do we have to complain? Oh, music on the radio sucks. Commercialization. Well, it's because... Songs used to be folk songs. Every song used to be a folk song. You could rip it, remix it, create a better version. 
You wouldn't have to pay royalties to the owner of the intellectual property of a piece of music because the government racket was not in effect at that point. So let's get it out of effect, and then it won't be used as an excuse for war. And you think, yeah, okay, maybe, Adam, yes, I know, we're not at the brink of war with China. Yet. Right now, we are at war with China, if you if you believe Donald Trump, it's a trade war. I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping this is interpreted more as a metaphor than a literal term, right? But what is that trade war? It's a war on you. When they charge a tariff, the basis of the trade wars, goods coming in from China are going to be taxed. Who pays that tax? You, the consumer. It's where it gets passed on. What is the effect of this? If the Chinese company, based on what they can charge you for their goods and services, can't cover the cost of the tax because companies in the United States aren't paying that tax, and I'm all for buy local in the sense that the market is naturally going to encourage that when that's the right thing, when that's the efficient thing, when there's more value created in buying local from your community. Yes. But, hey, when you trust the government to enforce buy local policies, what are the unintended consequences? Now, inefficiency is the result. You don't have the choice to get that cheaper produced good from China. You're going to pay more for it in the United States. You're still going to pay the taxes on it. And now we have a pretty clear path of escalation to real, you know, hot war with China. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not making that as a prediction. I think we're, we're most likely going to avoid it. What I'm pointing out in bringing you this news is not just to show you that this is happening. Yes, there is continued escalation. Right now, governments are desperate. People are hurting. They're upset when that's the case. Hey, there's going to be an increase in conflict. Not surprising. People are going to identify the wrong enemies and misdirect their anger. Governments are going to stoke that and take advantage of it. That's what's happening with China right now. I hope that out of this, America gets at least somewhat of a teachable moment about the issues of free trade. Yes, you as an individual have a right to trade with anybody on the face of the earth who wants to trade with you by choice. No government can force you into that trade or use force to stop you from engaging in that trade. Any introduction of violence or bad ideas or rackets like intellectual property that create systemic violations of individual property and trade rights are going to hold us back from our potential and make conflict more likely. We all suffer as a result of this. We all live in a less vibrant and economically powerful world whenever anybody's economic rights are violated. And now the big boogeyman of the United States is being raised in China as the big boogeyman of China is being raised in the United States, and we should not fall for any of this. From FastCompany.com, people who like embarrassing or angering others find social media more addictive, study says. This week in duh, large swaths of the Internet are assessed cool before today. This led to glum assessments about the state of humanity. But a new study out of Michigan State University and California State University at Fullerton says not so fast. 
The heaviest users of social media have personalities that enjoy angering and embarrassing others. This is good news. It means that humanity on the whole might suck far less than people on the Internet. Now, there's obviously a lot to be untangled from this. I'm a heavy user of social media because I enjoy angering and embarrassing statists. People who are doing evil, I, yes, I enjoy calling them out. More importantly, you know, obviously, I am compelled as part of my activism to engage in social media, to promote a message of freedom because it's important for fighting the biggest injustices in the world that we see today, all centered around statism. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it to individuals, right? Like, do I anger and embarrass? Like, I mean, very rarely. And, and actually, for my own self-preservation, there's a whole genre of people that I could be going after that I don't. And I think of Michael Hastings. I know this is getting, like, really grim for a second here. <clears throat> Michael Hastings was the Rolling Stone reporter who was, who mysteriously died in a car accident while he was investigating a particular, a very specific racket at the Pentagon, going after individuals. I deliberately avoid going after individuals in that category of powerful people who work for the Pentagon, let's just say, right? I don't, and, and, I, and I've, I've kept that, I kept that out of my message. And uh, my apologies to the audience if anybody says, you know, Adam, you're not bringing us a full worldview because you might be going after those people more. Yeah, yeah, I've been compromised by deep state threats that aren't even made to me personally. Let's put it that way. Sure. Sure, that's the reality. I don't think it's that important. I feel confident still saying I'm doing a, a, a as good a job as, as I can as an individual bringing you an accurate worldview and leaving out those stories, or at least leaving out some of those things. I don't really leave out those. I still cover them. But I don't make it a thing with my platform to use this to, you know, doggedly pursue specific rackets that I see within government, military, industrial complex, you know, yada, yada. Uh, I think it's enough to go after the bigger picture. But, yes, I do. So, you know, individuals, do, do I enjoy angering, embarrassing people like Glenn Greenwald and, and Ben Shapiro? Not really. You know, like Glenn Greenwald recently put out, why are libertarians quiet about what's happening in Oregon with federal police? And I, I, I wrote, I retweeted, and I tagged him, you know, serious question, Glenn. Like, I haven't heard a single libertarian come out in support of federal officers without ID going out and snagging people off the street in unmarked vans. Like, I have so... I kind of enjoy embarrassing him for presumptively slandering libertarians, you know. But I, I, I want him in the conversation. Like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, TheIntercept.com, great work calling out a lot of elements of sadism. So I'm more having fun, you know. I want him to be embarrassed about, you know, dumb status comments. But to this study in particular, a fascinating study of 472 University students track their usage on two top, top platforms, 
For 18 to 24-year-olds, Snapchat and Facebook researchers found that users displaying addictive behavior were also more likely to be motivated to be cruel and callous and use others for personal gain. Our results demonstrate that individuals who have a greater preference for these types of rewards display greater problematic use of both platforms, right? The researchers who note that these traits are associated with narcissism and psychopathy and have previously been correlated with addictive internet use. They write that social media sites unwittingly cater to people who seek rewards from being cruel, such as through cyberbullying or various aggressive online behaviors. The researchers hope that this study will help clinicians treat addicted patients by better understanding the social rewards that may be driving them. The same study also found that users logging longer hours with more addictive behaviors on Snapchat but more frequently uh, attempting to quit Facebook. Wait, the study also found users logging Longer hours of more addictive behavior on Snapchat more frequently, it does sense, does not make sense, uh, but are more frequently attempting to quit Facebook. You know, there are a lot of reasons to, to quit uh, social media. I don't think people who are engaged for the right reasons should get off, but we need to be aware that this is a basic feature of social media, and that you have to, you know, see past the superficial assessment of what you see, how ugly, how ugly humanity gets online. So keep that in mind. You know, don't feed the trolls. Just know that, and, and, and this is, uh, there are a lot of people I see online, you go, well, you, you post a lot. You know, I think there should, there should be a feature, and this is one of those, like, social media, there ought to be a law kind of fantasies, but imagine, like, if the more you posted, the the dimmer your posts got on other people's like you're like if you were on Facebook and you post once one comment on something it shows up in black and white if you post five comments on a post they start to get gray and grayer and you post ten times they're you know barely visible like gray on white text because because I mean that would be a fair way to do this right. Now, obviously, this is not, you know, I'm not suggesting, like, actually implementing this policy. There are a lot of reasons that it's not realistic. But when you see someone posting that much, you should know that this is one of the motivations that the heavy users of social media are more inclined to get some psychological benefit from just angering and embarrassing others. Yes. People who use social media in a benign way, like, hey, I want to connect with friends and family. I want to see the news they're talking about. I want to know what's going on in the world. I want to occasionally comment on my friends' posts. You're going to, that, that sort of norm, normal, conscientious, benign engagement on social media, right? It'd be most people. But then there are the people who are, uh, extra engaged because it's a hobby for them as part of their addiction to social media to engage in aggressive content online that is designed to anger or embarrass others. And just recognize now that they are overweighted in comment sections. 
that that's something you have to sort of subtract from your understanding of reality when you're trying to get that view from the internet. So uh, we're, we're getting close to time. I wanted to cover, you know, global frustration, online sentiments about COVID-19 have turned from fear to anger. You know, maybe we, we don't have to get into that. The uh, how you feel depends on where you are, another important social media and geography story. But I think that one deserves a, a little more time. And then um, another fun story. This is this is worth just discovering real quick. Uh, from Fox 5 New York, DA, typo gives away man who faked death to avoid prison. A Long Island criminal defendant tried faking his death to avoid sentencing with a phony death certificate his lawyer submitted had a glaring spelling error that made it a dead giveaway for a fraud. Robert Berger, 25, of Huntington, New York, now faces up to four years in prison if convicted in the alleged scheme. That's in addition to pending sentences for earlier guilty pleas to charges of possession of a stolen Lexus and attempted grand larceny of a truck. Punishment prosecutors say he was looking to avoid, as Nassau County District Attorney Madeline Singus said by telephone, it will never cease to amaze me the lengths some people will go to to avoid being held accountable on criminal charges. Now, the funny thing is that if they're saying that this is the case, it was this, he was one typo away from succeeding in his scheme, right? I doubt that that's true. But that seems to be like the, the, uh, the implication of the headline. I think this kind of encourages people to think, you know, how can I get away with this? I mean, when I clicked on the story, I was, that was my motivation. It was not like, hey, my audience might want to hear about this. It was like, wait. He almost got away with faking his death and only got caught because of a typo? Like, I want to examine this. But here's the bigger point. Right now, whether it's faking your death or leaving the country, there are a lot of ways that you can, or just ignoring letters or using COVID-19 directly as an excuse in some legal proceeding. It's a lot easier to avoid punishments for um, when when the state is coming after you for a victimless crime. And in this case, stolen Lexus, yeah, there's a victim. I don't know, maybe he stole from a government agent. But uh, right now, getting out of the country makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I just wanted to examine that. You know, people with, uh, you know, with military disabilities, like myself or other pensions, this economic crisis that we're facing right now might be the extra incentive to, to expatriate and say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll go live like a prince on the shores of Thailand, you know, renting a, a, a big-ass house with a bunch of servants and maids and drivers and cooks and all that, and you can do that, you know, and if you, you go to a country where, you know, the economic differential with the U.S. dollar is still so high. You know, they give you enough money to live comfortably in the United States on a pension or a disability. You can live well in another country with that kind of money. So, one other story I'll touch on real quick. Caribbean nations selling citizenship to Americans due to tourism decline. 
Someone sent this to us in the ABTM Producers Club Telegram chat this morning. Multiple Caribbean nations have implemented plans to sell citizenship to Americans and other populations after COVID-19 causes tourism decline. Fun trend here. Uh, according to Bloomberg, St. Kitts and Nevis, Dominica, Antigua and Barbuda, St. Lucia and Grenada have updated the cost of a passport, a family of four, can obtain St. Kitts and Evitt's passports with $150,000 contribution to the country's sustainable growth fund. That's out of most Americans' mm. price range. This is less than the standard price, so it used to be $195,000. And and this is not why I'm bringing this article to the audience. It's not like, hey, citizenship is the only way to do this. There are other ways. Mexican citizenship, a lot easier. There are a lot of countries where you can still marry in to get citizenship in another country, right? You marry someone with citizenship. You marry a Mexican, you qualify for Mexican citizenship. And that takes away a lot of your tax liability in the United States. But if you're already living off a pension or some other disability government fund, that's not taxable income doesn't matter what your citizenship or tax circumstances is. You can just leave. You can just take an extended vacation and stop paying rent in the United States. And as long as that money keeps coming, you know, whatever you got to do. Like for me with the VA, I don't have to do anything. Right? I got my golden parachute in that sense. My, my, my very small – a golden parachute refers to corporate – retirement package where you get $150 you know, million dollars to retire to check out, right, as your severance bonus. Um, I have, like, my, my tiny personal government shitty version of that. But I don't have to do anything. Like, I don't have to fill out any forms. I, you know, you're disabled from the military. It's a, you're disabled for life. Direct deposit. Government doesn't question it. Someone in my situation, you're really easy to leave the country and say, I'm just going to go move and, and pay rent and live well somewhere else. If you're getting passive income, say, from uh, a business or investments, or say, say you're a day trader, right, and you're making money, you're trading crypto or, or stocks, bonds, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. I, I, I was a day trader with crypto briefly, so you know, I, I can kind of speak to this and understand it. And in that sense, if, it was, if it's crypto, obviously you know how to avoid the tax liability on that, right? Yeah, go do it from anywhere in the world. Who cares what your paperwork is? You figure out a way just based on where you are to turn that into cash and pay your rent expenses. You can live well anywhere that way, right? Um, if it's if, if you're doing like stock trading on a you know, mainstream exchange and you got to send money through bank accounts, then it might make sense to pursue the actual foreign citizenship right now so that you can say, no, I'm not, you can you can make money. Well, basically, to allow the exchanges that you're getting your payouts from to pay you and tell the U.S. government there's no tax liability with this. We're paying a Mexican citizen, not an American citizen. So, lot just I, I, throwing this all out for your consideration. I, I feel like this is sort of my uh, a required journalistic courtesy, you know, given how this was, uh, you know, brought to my attention through our Producers Club to, to point out to you that, yes, looking abroad right now is uh, something that everybody who should have considered in the past should reconsider given current circumstances.
All right, so let's go now to our contest. Should we, should we just go straight to the answers or play the uh, one more time? Uh, producer note. Producer note. Let's get CJ on screen then. By the way, I, I'm I am flying blind at the moment. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Am I on mic? You are Lima Charlie. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Hello, everybody out there in Adam versus the Man Land. It is producer CJ, and I come to you from the digital studio of freedom. Uh, real quick, uh, a reminder that uh, we're going to get to good news in history, and uh, yeah. I I think uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing is uh, getting comments more interactive as Jim works things out. We're going to be getting uh, a flow down. And one of the things I wanted to add before we get off air for producer's notes would be, for example, we're taking this show away from Facebook. We just did an article about Facebook and Snapchat and what's going on in those statistics. And another reason why we're going to be going to patron only. Because then in the comment section, we're not dealing with people that don't want to help support. We're dealing with people that see a vision in this and want to uh, bring a well-digested libertarian news view to the front versus dealing with the social media censorship uh, in public. So that's just a, a note that I wanted to try to get into the last segment with Jim. He and I are chatting backstage and and, uh, you know, I want to make sure that we get that out there for everybody that, you know, if you're just tuning in, cause I watch the numbers and, uh, you know, I see everything we're going and I can kind of tell what people are liking and what formats we're doing, what's driving people to want to retune back in and what pe- keeps people going. So, you know, it's just one thing we had to add to that, that segment, I guess we could say before we get off the air, but I do have the contest ready. And uh, I, I would like to end this with some good news, though, sir. Well, At see, least. so so we're going to do right, so see, we're gonna do the contest. We're going to play the clip again. We're going to do good news. We're going to take our answers. You have a, a new clip of Donald Trump commenting on Elaine Maxwell. Can we save that as a special feature yes, yes, for our, yes, our patron-only yes, yes. show today? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. So, 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 so right now you can join us. And if, you, if, you, if you're not hot on your credit card or PayPal, whatever, that's cool. You can watch this video tomorrow. But join us right now. Sign up, patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. Just give us a dollar a month so we can invite you into our private censorship-free space. And I know I screwed up a few times and, and I cursed in, in today's show. And I was like, ah, oh, well, we, we crossed that line. I'll, I'll just casually curse throughout the show. But uh, we're going to have some, I mean, we're going to be talking about Ghislaine Maxwell. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Uh, Maxwell didn't kill herself either, at least not yet. Um, And if she dies, she will. We'll get into all of that. We're going to have a lot of fun. So we're going to do now the last show of this clip with just the audio. We're going to do the good news. We're going to take your answers, and then we're going to switch over to patron only. So, CJ, give us another audio sampling of today's clip, please. United States corporation, corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even right, spiritual, right, right there, there. is felt in every... Right there, stop right there. It's gonna, it's giving it away. Giving it away. All right. So... We'll give you just a couple minutes here to get your last answers in. We want the speaker. We want the occasion. We want the date. 
And if everybody is able to come up with that in one sentence, why is this speech known as the blank speech and the importance of it? So complete answers for the win today if we have ties that need to be broken. We go now to goodnewsnetwork.org, good news in history for July 22nd. It starts with happy 80th birthday to Alex Trebek, the beloved Canadian-American TV host of Jeopardy. You know, that almost makes up for Brian Adams and Celine Dion, for whom the Canadian government has apologized multiple times. Yes, that's an obscure South Park reference for those of you who got that. Um, born in Sudbury, Ontario, he earned a university degree in philosophy, but began working in broadcasting. It was sort of like, wait, but as opposed to instead of began working in philosophy, you mean your useless liberal arts degree didn't immediately prescribe the perfect degree? You couldn't, you, you, 18th century French poetry didn't provide you with a dozen job offers upon graduation? Shocking. No, he found a real job in broadcasting, eventually moving to L.A. and hosting a number of game shows starting in 1973 while taping five Jeopardy shows a week for 36 years. Trebek also has taken the show on the road performing for U.S. military troops overseas to boost morale with the USO. Now, I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about myself for a second. Five Jeopardy shows a week for 36 years. The biggest weakness I have had, the biggest thing holding back Adam versus the man has been lack of consistency in in maintaining a, a, a consistent production format all the way through over the years. Jeopardy, on the other hand, five, with Trebek, five shows a week for 36 years. That, that's some commitment. I've been doing this. You know, with with arrests and breaks and other tours in between for 36 years. Or I'm sorry, for, for for Adam versus the man, how long has it been since since uh, since 2010? I guess was it. Yeah, 2010 was the start. So 10 years with Adam versus the man specifically. Really, we've got to have a 10th anniversary episode at some point here. When was the official start of Adam vs. the Man? It was, I, I think we might have missed it already, because we, we, well, no, we started this, it, it's, it's really right about now. It was after the Republican primary in New Mexico in, in 2010, we started the very first version of Adam vs. the Man as the terrestrial radio show uh, on AM, AM 1550 KIVM, or Puzzle Talk Radio, and uh, yeah, it's been 10 years, not a lot of consistency, a lot of format changes. And I, I just want to say that I'm, you know, I'm really excited with what we have today with the, the core team of Jim and CJ and Marcus. It is just amazing what we have. And, and you know, we'll come up with a normal vacation schedule for me, so, but I – I don't want to change this. I want to do, and I want to do this for the next 36 years. To do a live show for two hours in the morning with guests covering the news. With, you know, I love this audience that we have right now supporting us on Patreon. I would love to be able to say someday, you know, I, I, I beat Trebek. 
Sucker Trebek. I beat him for longevity. Is that an obvious enough reference? Do I not sound like an asshole? Sucker Trebek. That's uh, Sean Connery as played by uh, a variety of... No, who who did the Sean Connery on the Jeopardy the SNL? It was... Um, anyway, Sucker Trebek. No, I love Alex Cruz. Somebody playing Sean Connery. Huh? Adam Sandler? I don't think Adam Sandler ever played the Sean Connery character. Anyway, famous old SNL skit. It's a fun classic. But yeah, to be able to say that, that we've, we've got Adam versus the man to that level of consistency, this is the format I want to do it with. This is the team I want to do it with. So thank you for your, all of your support in making it possible. More good news on this day in 1793, Alexander McKenzie reached the Pacific Ocean becoming the first person on record to cross America over the Great Divide, traveling through Canada much of the way on foot. On this day in 1933, Wiley Post from Oklahoma became became the first person to fly solo around the world with a 15,596-mile flight in the Winnie May in less than eight days. On this day in 1983, martial law in Poland was officially revoked. I wonder if they officially invoked it as martial law. I should, I should know more about my Cold War history here. But uh, it would be nice if we, if we could have that in the United States, if we could officially revoke martial law in the United States today. On this day in 1971, the Citizens' Charter launched by British Prime Minister John Major, promised to improve public services. I don't know if that's really good news or not. On this day in 1976, the city of Cleveland was founded by General Moses Cleveland on the southern shore of the Great Lake Erie near the mouth of the Cuyahoga. Is that how you say it? I should not have pronounced it. Cuyahoga? Cuyahoga? Cuyahoga River. It looks like Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. All right. So, all right, that's enough of the good news today. I guess other notable birthdays. George Clinton, funk music innovator. Happy birthday, George Clinton, turning 79 today. Actor Danny Glover, 74. Don Henley, singer, 73. And uh, let's see, we have... (laughs) All this is a writing and comedic actor, Albert Brooks, 73. Actor, William Def- Willem Dafoe, 65. And then singer, Selena Gomez. Why not? Happy 28th birthday, Ms. Gomez. All right. Back to the contest. Our results. Jim on stage now, hopefully. Jim, yep, what got, do we got? We have all of our answers here. I'll just post them in order. Uh, Daniel Henry was the very first person to guess uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Congratulations. Right, yes, man. it was Dwight D. Eisenhower. He said, yep, Ike's farewell. Oh, this is Glenn Harowitz, the next person. Uh, farewell speech, warning of the military-industrial complex. Good to hear Glenn Horowitz is joining us. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Glenn. And that's that's great. So we got not perfect, but partial answers. Definitely correct on all counts there. Bill said the same thing, Eisenhower, farewell speech. Uh, I, here we go. This is the most... Specific as far as I can tell. Tom SCH, Eisenhower farewell address, January 17th, 1961. Yeah, but no purpose. 
So I would so far I would give it to Glenn. You were you went precise on the date, but Glenn said farewell address, and you can look up the date from that. So that it was warning us. About, I think you got to get to get give the extra point there to say that the point of the speech was warning us of the military industrial complex. Okay. All right. Um, well, he said farewell address, but okay. So you're saying because the military was. Uh, Dustin Hansen said Eisenhower Iron Cross speech, 1953. So that's not well, the years wrong anyway. Right. Uh, Manny Sevilla said Eisenhower 1961, but that's not many more specific. And speaking of that, Manny is the person who won yesterday's contest, and he was asking how to get his reward, so he must not have been there at the end of yesterday's show. Jim. Email me, Jim at thefreedomline.com. Uh, the winner of today and Manny, both of you, email me at that address and I'll set you up with your winning today. You'll be in the producer's club today. Well, who won today? Was that, was that the best answer? Uh, was yeah, Glenn Horowitz? Glenn Horowitz was the most complete. All right. Well, congratulations, Glenn. Looking forward to having you in our daily chat on, uh, on our Patreon only, actually, well, producer's club. Producer's club. And, and just to be clear, we're still working on giving away the actual Patreon account membership to make sure that when we give these away, that we're as much as possible getting you plugged in to Patreon properly. Right now, Patreon doesn't have that option. But our two main things that we're giving you as a member of the Adam vs. the Man Producers Club is access to the live show and access to the Telegram group. We will be able to give you both of those, even when you don't have access through Patreon because Patreon technically we're using an unlisted YouTube link. So we'll be able to send you, post that YouTube link into the Telegram group. The only thing that you might be missing out on is what we do for our $5 patrons of the behind the scenes footage that really goes to Patreon only. But we haven't done any, we haven't done any for a, for a few days here. Let's start when we, we, we do these, you know, well, about it, most weekdays. I think Jim's been doing some patron-only content aside from our studio content with fun gardenia stuff most weekdays. But he hasn't been here for a while. We get back to that. We'll just post those raw videos directly into the Telegram group, too. So even if Patreon doesn't give us the way around it, we'll be able to give you all three of the $10 a month producer club benefits without having to interact with Patreon directly if you don't want to. So, with that being said, congratulations. We are going to a post-show, after-show today, uh, till about noon. We're going to be starting probably in about five minutes here, about uh, 11.30, as CJ gets us that link to the new studio setup. And we're going to get into Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Not like, hey, you better know this for your worldview, but it is a really fun conversation. We had a couple stories queued up that we didn't get to earlier this week about, you know, the, her. Well, see, and, and now there are a few stories that I kind of wanted to cover. And it's just like, how much of this is tabloid versus need to know stuff? Well, we're going to find all that out. We're going to hear. And, and the latest quote that we have from uh, that CJ found from Trump actually getting asked about this today does kind of elevate the relevancy of this case still very much pending up in the air, waiting to see where the chips are going to land on this. But we're going to get into that over the next half hour for our patrons only. And you can join right now for $1 
and then you will get the alert when we go live on Patreon only here, or Patreon only here in just about five minutes. So with that being said, peace and love, y'all. Mwah. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. Thank <laughs> you.